0: So, I had this uh, thought come to mind as I was preparing for today's message, and I thought I'd ask, you know, how many of you in here have done one of those, like, 23andMe, you know, uh, things, the DNA test, Ancestry.com? It's it's fascinating, all the information that you learn from it, right? It's... it's, uh, it's a common fascination by uh, many individuals that want to know where they came from, you know, why they're the way they are. Or just to know more about that history helps kind of instruct the, um, that person today. Now, on the website of 23andMe, uh, it offers people the opportunity, if you're not aware of this, to find out their heritage by providing their DNA Using genetic information, the company can provide uh, ancestral histories for, uh, for individuals. They can Some people can find relatives if you were adopted or something like that. Sometimes it allows you to find out more about where you came from. But it can also, they can trace people's ancestries back thousands of years. And using this information not only helps you find out more about your ancestors or or your your relatives, but it also really brings to light even uh, determined genetic health issues that a person might not know about that exist in their lives. So it's it's quite a fascinating thing, but also nerve-wracking in some ways, too. You know, they have all this information about me. But um, the website says that they've sold over 12 million DNA kits. So that's a big of data that they're pulling from and um, but it's all very fascinating right it's something that kind of helps instruct us uh, concerning us our our lives today but um, you know wanting to know where you came from why you are the way you are you know uh, the ability to find answers to long-lived personal questions you know is my mom or dad still alive or do I have any brothers or sisters for some people. But as we begin our study through the book of Acts, we find uh, a recorded history of Jesus establishing his church through the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we have the ability to look in our Bibles and see the DNA of the church, where it came from, why we do what we do, and see what we are made to do. It instructs us for how We are to exist as as a body of believers in today's world. By studying this book of Acts, we can gain a better understanding as to why the church exists. What the role of the church is at this present time and where we as the church are heading. Now, I wanted to highlight uh, one of the key verses, which is not part of our study this morning. But if you look forward to verse 8, this is the key verse of the book of Acts. And it's Jesus, as he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's the key verse. And really that tells you everything about what's going to happen in the book of Acts. But why is it called the book of Acts in the first place? It records for us the acts of the apostles, the things that they had done. And and focusing really on two main characters, as well as many others. But two main ones is Peter and Paul, the apostle Peter, who followed Jesus he was one of the chosen disciples that was with him, with Jesus throughout his whole life. He saw, the, he saw the cross, saw the resurrection, was, heard all of his teachings, and the Lord used him. And then we have Paul, one who he would say was born out of due time. He was one that had met Christ after the resurrection, and the Lord had commissioned him. But when we study this book, as we go through this over the, next, the following Sundays... We'll find that it isn't really the best title. Because it's focusing, you know, in, in history, they focus it upon the acts of the, the apostles. But really, the real actor, the real one doing the work, so to say, in this book, is the Holy Spirit. It's, we see Him at work in and through the apostles in the church. And so, that's what we want to have in our mind as we go through this book... And really, I mean, maybe to share a little bit of my heart, you know, as Pastor Greg and I were talking and working through these, you know, when I would start teaching and when he was about to end, I went through all kinds of different books in my head about where we would start. And um, and he had suggestions and I had thoughts and, you know, everything's coming about. But then uh, one day I just thought about Acts and what what a great book to really teach through, uh, as I begin to teach on Sunday mornings, because we see the Lord just using His people to do mighty, amazing things, but just in the most incredible ways that are not meant to glorify them, but to glorify Him. And, you know, we have uh, uh, Peter, who's one of the main characters, who denies Christ, Right? Denied him before people. And the Lord restored him and used him mightily. And then you had Paul who was chasing down Christians and and pulling them off to prison and having them persecuted, standing by while even Stephen, as we'll read later on in Acts, is Stephen is is stoned to death, one of the disciples. And the Lord redeems his life. And so there's there's a lot for us to be reminded about in our own minds, how God has changed. Uh, has changed us and how he wants to use us as we look into this this book. But let's begin here in verse one, and it's, it starts off by saying this the former account I made, O Theophilus. Now, we understand that the author of Acts is Luke. Luke is the same author as the Gospel of Luke. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but that's what happens in this case. And most often, Acts is referred to as Luke Acts because it's a two part book, or two, two books, a two part series, you know, uh, where Luke, uh, this physician that Paul describes that was his occupation, possibly he was a Gentile believer or of Grecian or Roman background. But we see him being commissioned by or writing to this man, Theophilus. And and Luke, in his investigations of all that God was doing, in investigations of what had been reported about Jesus in this church, he found himself eventually a companion of Paul's on the different legs of his missionary journeys. As he sought to record all that the Lord was doing as as in this earlier times of ministry and the expansion of the church. So Luke is is somebody who's writing down firsthand experiences, but also um, we'll have to dig back into his intro to Luke to find out more of what he was doing. But the purpose really was for Theophilus. The book of Acts was the continuation of what Luke began to record about Jesus in his gospel. And what Luke says is that he was recording an orderly record of what happened through Jesus and what he taught. That was the point of why he was writing. So he's continuing this book. In Acts, he records from, um, actually in the gospel, Luke records the life, teaching, and works of Jesus from birth to grave and from grave to ascension. We read a portion of that. And then in Acts, he's recording the, what happens after the resurrection to Jesus' ascension. And then from Pentecost, or when the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit happened, on. Luke was writing to a man called Theophilus. And Theophilus, there's some thoughts about who he was. The name Theophilus means friend of God. Or lover of God. And he could have, he was most likely a patron of Luke, somebody that was financing and being able to, um, uh, Luke to be able to do his research to bring back this report. And it's interesting because in Acts, or in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, uh, Luke refers to Theophilus as most excellent. And so we know that he was official, like an official in dignity, and he um, held a high rank. But as the book of Acts begins, he goes, the former account I made of Theophilus, it seems like they may have become to develop this relationship beyond just a working one. And there are thoughts that Theophilus wasn't actually the name of the person because of what his name means and was meant for a specific person, but to disguise his name so he wouldn't get in trouble. Um, sometimes those things would, would happen. There's people say that about um, John when he was writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, how he was addressing the letters to, the, um, to his, the recipient. But Theophilus, if you think about it, I like what Pat, Pastor Chuck said. He goes, if that's the case, this letter is written to anybody who's a lover of God and wants to know more about what he was doing in and through his people and in and through his church. And I, I like that. I like what Pastor Chuck said. But we know that Theophilus was the intended recipient of this letter. And he, he writes, he goes, The former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, when Jesus, this record in, from Luke, um, both began to do and to teach. It, it's a it's phrased in a way that points his reader to understand that what Jesus began to do is actually still going on. That when he when Theophilus reads this, he's going to understand that Jesus is carrying on from heaven the work of teaching the disciples, which he had started when he was here on earth before he ascended. So this is a continuation. That's what we're going to go on. That that God is continuing to work Jesus through the Spirit, through the giving of the Spirit, in His church today. He's still at work today. He hasn't stopped teaching His disciples and working through them. Now, some people, we, we turn church sometimes into this religious experience where we just show up and we can hear uh, someone share a, a good message, maybe it encourages us for our lives. But when the church was gathered in these days, it, it was in the power of the Holy Spirit, and instruction was given, and mission was communicated and carried out. And Luke is writing this new book to continue telling what Jesus is continuing to do through his people on earth. The work didn't stop when Jesus left, he's now utilizing his people and his, his disciples. He goes on in verse two, until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke says in his gospel that he writes so that Theophilus can know for certain the things that he was instructed or taught. In Acts, Luke is continuing the story of what Jesus had done and taught. To make the case that what Jesus began to do was continuing on by the Holy Spirit through the apostles whom he had chosen. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had given orders and commandments to the apostles before his ascension. And we find these commandments in all four Gospels, right? We hear the Great Commissions that are often referred to. But I wanted to look at each of those today. Because in their fullness, we see the trajectory of where the church is going to go and what we'll see happen in the book of Acts. In John chapter 20, the verses should be on the screen. Jesus says, uh, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And they were to be agents of forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were to communicate the forgiveness that was bought for them through the blood of Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." And they were called and commissioned to make disciples, followers of Jesus, uh, learners of his teaching of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them through the power of the Holy Spirit, that abiding spirit of God that would never leave them and be with them even to the end of the age. In Mark chapter six, we see Jesus commission his disciples and starting, I'm sorry, Mark 16, starting at verse 15. And he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will no, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so we see that they were to preach the gospel message in the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere, to everyone. And that the Lord would support that message through miraculous things, through the power of the Holy Spirit. They would be able to uh, speak in tongues and cast out demons, all things that Jesus was had been doing, they were going to continue to do. The sick would be healed, and we recovered. Things that we will see the very disciples and the apostles of Jesus doing in the Book of Acts. And then, as we read earlier today, Luke's account of what Jesus had said. We'll pick it up in verse forty-four in uh, Luke chapter twenty-four, verse forty-four. Since says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. They were to preach Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We see the the commissioning of the message in To preach a turning away from and a forgiveness of sin to all nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. So by reading these back to back, we get this idea of the main message they were to preach. That Jesus came, was crucified, and was resurrected from the dead according to the scriptures. And that forgiveness of sin... And a unification with Jesus through baptism is for everyone that believes. This is what they were to be doing as his disciples, as his apostles. And really the word apostles, if you don't know this, it means sent out ones. Jesus sent them out with this message in the mission. We could use that term really to refer to, you know, missionaries that we would send out. But oftentimes it's used in in ways where people are calling men apostles and giving them this authority that they can you know speak the word of God and and whatever they say is on equal level that's not right that's not what's happening in the bible apostles simply mean sent out ones and Jesus in Luke continues on in verse 3 so we have this message we see the commissioning but also that Jesus had presented himself alive in verse 3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The end of Luke and the beginning of Acts overlap in content. And we, I, that's why I had Todd read those passages, because I wanted to visually see that or hear that. That they're overlapping in the message that's being said. Luke is doing this on purpose to connect the two volumes. And he's not writing a story, but he's documenting the eyewitness accounts of those that had been with Jesus after his resurrection. That's what he's moving on to do. That's what he's clarifying. An orderly account is what he said in Luke. Jesus chose these men and showed himself to them. So they may have a personal witness to give. After encountering Christ resurrected, there was no doubt, no wavering in the testimony of these disciples. You think about that. Those that had encountered Jesus before, though, when they first heard the reports from the grave, we read this, they were like, What? You mean he's not in the grave? They didn't, they didn't expect it, though he told them. They didn't expect it. And they, they ran to the, we see it recorded that John and Peter were running to the, to the tomb to check it. And then they were told that he was not there. He had been resurrected. They didn't understand. But when they encountered him, that's when it all changed. They, many of them who had encountered Jesus, resurrected from the dead, would go on to lose their lives for that very testimony. And these were not just sightings, like, you know, like Bigfoot or something like that. You know, I, I really those shows drive me up the wall when they're on Discovery and whatever else because they'll hype this whole thing up and then you never see Bigfoot, and I want to see Bigfoot. <laughs> like, I want to see the real like you guys are just pulling my chain the whole time, you know. But these were not just sightings of Jesus. They're not like, that guy kind of looks like him over there. No, Jesus over a period of 40 days, he would appear to them and teach them, instructing them concerning the kingdom of God. There was fellowship that was occurring. Now he didn't, we don't get the impression that he followed, like he lived with them for those 40 days, but that he would show up and he would be teaching them, instructing them. And Luke indicates that all the evidence through many infallible proofs pl- proclaims that Jesus is truly risen from the dead. And that's, that's what changed them. That's why we see men who who uh, fled from Jesus at his crucifixion, we see Peter who denied him and, his, and acknowledging any sort of relationship with Jesus go on to live these different lives. It was during that time spent with Jesus that the disciples were drastically changed. And this is the same for us. It's the same. It's true for us. Time spent with him, getting to know him, actually coming to know him, there's nothing more powerful than our personal testimony. The way we encounter Jesus for the first time, the forgiveness that we experience, the way our lives changed after we began to follow him. No one can argue against that. It's your experience with him. And that's what gives so much boldness to the disciples. They knew who they believed in. And now Luke is writing these things for people like us. Who didn't get to encounter physically the Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But Jesus says, blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen, right? But we, that doesn't change that we experience a change of life when we encounter Jesus and when we trust in Him as our Savior. Let's look at verse 4 here. It says, In being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, He said, you have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus, while gathered with his disciples, said, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise. And Luke records what that promise was. We read it. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from we learn it from John in his gospel that Jesus had to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. He says in John 16, 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So we see that Jesus. He's preparing his disciples to receive power to do the work that he has called them to do. Power which would give them boldness. Power which would would carry them through the persecution that they would endure. Power that would give them the words to speak as they stood before various peoples. Wisdom that would open up their understanding of the scriptures. And who Jesus is actually, or, I'm sorry. John the Baptist is actually who Jesus is talking about here when he says in verse 5, John. For which you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, John called people to a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins or to turn from their sins. In anticipation for the coming Messiah. Some who came out to visit John thought that he was the Messiah, but John uh, pointed to another that would come after him. The Messiah who would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, was what John said. I want to look at, uh, at a passage here in Luke chapter 3, Starting at verse two, it says, "While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low." The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. So I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you see, John came out with a vibrant message that meant business. He's preaching to Israel, saying, prepare yourselves for the coming Messiah. And that judgment would inevitably come. And it was going to begin in Israel. Now he picks back up in verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying, "'I indeed baptize you with water, "'but one mightier than I is coming, "'whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. "'He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire.' "'His winnowing fan is in his hand, "'and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor gathering the wheat into his barns, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, and many other exhortations he preached to the people. So, so John's pointing to Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the term baptism, as well, those that are coming to the class afterwards, it, it normally means dipped or immersed. But here it's, it's being used in the means of saying united with so John's followers they united with him in anticipation of the Messiah through the baptism of repentance. They were getting ready for the coming of the Messiah right before he arrived. Now Jesus says that his followers should be united with him through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Commentator Adam Clark wrote Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit for the destruction of sin, the illumination of the mind, and the consolation of the heart. To illuminate, regenerate, refine, and purify the heart. That's what it meant to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was a work that God was going to do in the heart of man through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent so that God would be with his people and within his followers after Christ's return to heaven. The Holy Spirit would comfort them, would guide them to know his truth, remind them of Jesus' words, and give them the right words to say and fill them with power. You can find that that described through the you know, chapters of John 14 and 16. 14 through 16, sorry. So we see the promise that sets the book of Acts in motion. This is it. The Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, continuing the work that he began to do until it is complete. That's what this book is about. It can be broken down into two parts. And my message really this morning is an intro uh, to Acts it, it's, it's going to be broken up into t- really two main parts that cover the first 12 chapters and then the, the um, thir- chapters 13 through 28. One, where we begin to see Peter's ministry, we see Peter rise up as this uh, early church minister establishing the church and, and seeing the church expand. and People receive the message of, of Christ and, and become a part of this new messianic congregation. And then in part two, we see Paul's ministry. We see him take three different missionary journeys, work out with the Jewish council at Jerusalem what it means for Gentiles to be a part of the church and to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And then we see Paul finish out his life and no, um, we'll finish out the rest of the book with Paul's trial, um, For his testimony of the resurrected Christ. And what will it show us? What should we gain as we study through this letter, this book? As we study through it, I believe we will be stirred and challenged as we see the examples of faith, the zeal, the boldness, the commitment of our Early brothers and sisters living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts will evangelize to us. It'll remind us of the very message that we are saved by. And in, in hopes, it'll turn us into evangelists. Reminding us again and again with clarity and power that God, that what God has promised, He has fulfilled in sending his Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed in his name among all nations. We are reminded that the good news is for everyone. We see the message of Jesus go out to Samaritans, Ethiopian eunuchs, Roman guards, Cornelius, Gentiles, in Antioch, the poor, the wealthy, the educated, the uneducated, Women, men, high and lofty, as well as those who are poor and humble in their station. We're reminded that it doesn't matter who we come in contact with out there. They need to hear the message. How wicked or how kind, they all need to hear the message of the gospel. For us, Acts is a book that teaches us about God and what he is seeking to accomplish through his church. It contains lessons and examples of the work of the Holy Spirit, church relationships and activities, its organization, the implication of grace, and also the law of love. And I believe that it is relevant for today because I'm reminded by the the theme verse that I shared with you earlier on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is still at work in the world through the Holy Spirit. This is His work that He began. It's not something that we as a collective group of people are like, hey we should start this cool organization and like do cool things you know. This This is something that God has started. This is something that he is going to continue to work through and in as people are empowered by his spirit. Now the book of Acts will end abruptly, leaving us with the idea that this work is unfinished. We're just left with Paul under Roman guard and under house arrest is really what it is, being able to minister. And this idea that some people say that Luke had anticipated writing more. Or it just kind of, it just ends like this so that we can see our place in this, in this book. But Jesus is still at work and that the message of the gospel is still relevant for today. Still the most important message a person needs to hear. We who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior will have been commissioned have been commissioned and given the power through the Holy Spirit to carry this message out to the world. Out to our hometowns, our city, this state, our country, and then beyond. Those of you who are struggling with belief today, I want you to know you're seen. This is why Luke wrote that you might have certainty of the things that Jesus did. And what he is still doing through the Holy Spirit in the life of his church. And then those who are here who have not believed. We're glad you're here. Because the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I encourage you today to ask questions. Find a believer around or talk to one of the pastors. Well, I'm the only one here today. Which I meant to say, Pastor Greg, you know, this would happen. I'd start teaching uh, Pastor Kevin asked that he would come and teach for him out in Clayton. So Pastor Greg is teaching Calvary Chapel Clayton. And um, anyways, I'm sorry I forgot to mention that. But um, talk to somebody today. If you have questions, don't, don't just sit on them. I encourage you that Jesus is very much alive and at work today. Today we're going to partake of communion. And I thought how fitting it would be to look at Luke's account of when Jesus gave this communion to his disciples. So if you want to look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. It says, When the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do it. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. What I found interesting about Luke's account, it says that Jesus really wanted to eat this Passover with his disciples before he would suffer his death on the cross. He really wanted to have that intimate time with him. And then it's during this dinner that he took two of the elements of this meal and he makes statements with them, the cup and the bread, statements that would look forward to the ultimate completion of his work. You see, the Passover was the judgment of God against Egypt and the setting free of Israel from slavery. Jesus, through his body, gives his life in exchange for our freedom and our forgiveness of sin and making us accepted by the Father. His blood, like that of the lamb's blood that was shed to save Israel at that first Passover, is the new covenant in his blood which is shed for the remission of sins, in order that we do not fall under the judgment of God against all sin. It's through his death, his life, his death, and resurrection, that we have liberty and freedom and life. So today, as we come forward, we'll, um, we're going to have the elements opened up here. And you can come forward as we sing the worship song. that it's when we partake of these elements today that we do it in remembrance of all that Jesus has done and are stirred to proclaim the good news until he returns. So, as you feel led, you can come forward and grab the cup and the, and the bread as we play our, um, this worship song.